Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. This is Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saltalamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, baseball's and boring and I know that every single time that I listen to this guy, Boo Shiambi, I'm, I'm not just saying this, Boo. Like, I've said this, I think I've said it to you, but I always thought that the the preeminent or the best broadcast that I had heard on the radio for the last few years um, before you went to the Cubs when you were doing like ESPN. Do you still ESPN Sunday night games? Okay. Uh, about half of them. Okay. about So you and Chris Singleton. Um I said, as a connoisseur of the art of uh, of radio broadcasting, where I say I fill my head with information, I blurt it out. But I do feel it. I do. I've always found it fascinating how this has evolved. And I just felt like when I listened to you guys, you guys hit the sweet spot. You guys do it right. Um, so we'll get to that in a second. But I just want, first of all, how are you? Thank you. <laughs> I'm good. How you doing? Good, good. I know you're coming off. So like, as I just told you, I, there's two things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about uh, two things I'm very passionate about right now. That is broadcasting and the Cubs. I, yeah. uh, I, uh, we had Pedro Grafal on the podcast, and he had me all fired up for the White Sox. Now, and we had David Ross on, but honestly, Boog, you know, you know, Rossi, you worked with him, you, you, you call his games and everything else. Um, this was right before free agents was starting, was starting. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, go get them. 
go do your recruiting thing. First of all, I, th- I guess that's where I'll start. How do you think that Rossi is as a recruiter? What does that look like? I mean, I think his, you know, his reputation precedes him. So I think as a player, you know, he's, he's, he had a, probably accumulated a fair amount of street cred. And I don't think that that's changed as, as a manager. He's charming. He's also direct and honest in a way that I think that most of the people around him appreciated. And so, you know, I don't know in those spots how much of a factor recruiting actually is. You know, the way it ultimately, you know, plays out is most of these guys just in the end end up taking whatever the, you know, the highest dollar amount (laughs) is. It's true. Yeah, it's true. It's a funny thing where, I mean, to the point where it's weird if a guy's, you know, a guy will – he wants to play in X place and he'll take $6 million total more uh, from another place. And it's like, what in the vast scheme of things, what's the $6 million doing for you? I mean, when we're talking about 140 million, you know what I mean? Like, so um, look, if anybody is going to be good at it, David is going to be good at it would be my thought. So you're so right. We hear about like tax breaks and everything else. Like, okay, well, it's a million, but is it worth it? You know, in in, in the grand right. scheme of things. But I think that, and I'm glad you said this. And this isn't sort of where I was planning on going with the whole recruiting talk. But it's I find it interesting. We had our good friend on Joe Kelly, and right before free agency started, and we we're talking about this, and he said like it's outdated, it's archaic, this isn't college. And you know, I think that he. I think that we've since then we've had other people come on and agree with them, say exactly what you said. Usually it's about the money. Sure, it might be somewhat about where you're going to go, but it's. I, I think that when it comes to David Ross, I think this is where it, it worked for him because he's not worried about putting something up in the jumbotron. He's not like doing the college basketball, college football thing. He's just David Ross. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's just being himself. There's no question. It comes, it comes naturally. But again, I I agree with Joe. I mean, I would, uh, you know, back at the same topic, I I would say, in my opinion, I think that players get it wrong at times. Like, go where you go where you want to go. Like, if you you want to be happiest, like go where you want to go. Go to the location if it's that. Go to a place where you think gives you the best chance to win because. Getting your butt kicked in a city that you don't like, for, you know, and taking the money, uh, it's, uh, you know, tons of guys have found out it's it's not all it's cracked up to be. No, I got it. We, we both probably have examples. I mean, for around here where, where I'm at in Boston, you know, the, the one that jumps out is Carl Crawford. I mean, Carl Crawford was right. like... I mean, how does he? He's like, how do I turn down forty million dollars more? Well, okay, I get it, but you're going to be miserable. But there's plenty of examples. Yeah. But it seems yep. like it seems like the the event, and we only I only get I wasn't there, but you were there. What was it called? It was, yeah, uh, yeah. It was called Cubs. Um, uh, uh, I want to oh, say Comic Con. It for, no, it's it's Cubs Con, Cubs Convention is what it is. So okay. there's a. Uh, an opening ceremony and they sing the national anthem and uh autographs and panels um 
yeah, it's it's wall to wall with former Cubs and Hall of Famers and all sorts of stuff. It's it's in one building at the Sheridan, and it is amazing. It's just and the minor leagues are there as well. It is just wall to wall Cubs, and, and that's the thing to come back to sort of wanting to be there. the The images that I see, and and you know this better than any place. The cup playing at at Wrigley Field, playing with the Cubs, even when you're not that good, to hear that song after end of the wins, and to have be in that environment and all that stuff, it's so different. It's such a it should be such a draw, and now you're getting kind of good. Now you're getting players, and it must have been that vibe there. It sure looked like there was a lot of smiles on the faces, and maybe a dramatically different sort of vibe than there was probably even than a year ago, right? Yeah, I, I mean, again, it's it's the transition from the 16 championship team and then some disappointment that they weren't able to win it again. Those players moving on. And there was, you know, there, there was difficult periods because, you know, as fans are want to do, they didn't just want the Cubs to win again. They wanted them to win again with Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo. You know, they wanted the, they wanted you two to make the Joshua Tree again. They wanted the band to stay together. <laughs> and I get it, but it's just not realistic, you know? And ultimately, it's a funny thing, man. I, I think that if you asked the average Cubs fan, they still would have preferred for Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo to be signed to massive extensions, <laughs> even though... It's been proven that management did the right thing as it relates to not doing it. I mean, I think Riz, from the value standpoint, would be the one you know you'd, you'd make the case for. But yeah, it's just it's one of those weird things. And as far as the fan base, it's an incredible fan base. Mm-hmm. It's an absolutely incredible fan base. It's you know, last year they played much better in the second half, but. Yeah, they're playing in late August and September against the Pirates, and there's thirty five thousand people there. It's it's different. It's different. What, so, what's the what was the biggest takeaway you had from before I get to my analysis from afar of this team and how it's constructed? What was your biggest takeaway when you walked out of that building? Said, "Oh man, you know that guy was impressive," or this this was interesting. Was there anything that because I've, we have we see a lot of teams do this sort of thing. And usually there's something. Which sort of thing? Oh, there's sort of the, like. The um, thing? Yeah, like for the Red Sox, it's called Winter Weekend, you know. So, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, not, I shouldn't say a lot of teams, but some teams do it. Some, I would like to something yeah. the Marlins. They do a the, fan fest, yeah. No, the yeah. Marlins do a fan fest. Right, but I just saw the Marlins one that no one showed up. So, uh, but. um Docker. But, yeah, but. So, what was the thing that you, like, you walked out of the building, like, okay, I this is this was interesting or. I got a good vibe from this or whatever. Was there anything? I I think the one thing that I would say that I took away from it is is something you alluded to is to guys like Hyon, Swanson, Bellinger were really excited to be there. Like there was a real vibe of this is going to be cool playing for this team. I think that's what I, that's really what I, what I took away. Um, so, and I would say the fans were, were jazzed up. I was taking it in for the first time. This will be my third year, but it was the first time I'd been at a a Cubs convention. So Mm -hmm. I'd heard about it, but I hadn't 
experienced it and it was uh it was intense there were i just didn't i i couldn't really wrap my head around how many fans were there and you know in this massive ballroom um all these panel shows etc and it was you know multiple floors it was pretty incredible so when i look at this team you know obviously you have like you said you had to turn things over which is always uncomfortable because you're gonna have to go yeah. through growing pains but now you get to the point there's that point where you're like you have the base you have enough experience from the young guys now you can bring in some of these guys who maybe a one or two year contract but they're not only gonna you hope for the best on the field you know they're going to have an impact off the field on the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Mancini, Bellinger, yeah. um, some Hosmer. of these. Haws, Haws. Oh my goodness! So when I looked at when I look at this roster, that's what jumps out to me, Boo. Like that's what jumps out to me is these guys. And, and Hosmer is the perfect example. Holy mackerel! You want to talk about people singing the praises about a guy in a clubhouse? It's that yes. guy, right? So yeah. I mean, this. So that seems like that it's built that way. Built pretty well that way, right? So, I mean, you st- start with Haas. I mean, you just will not find a guy that teammates seem to unanimously say, that dude, I like him on my team, and he's good in our room. It, he just, whether whether the production's off the charts or not off, he, he, he has garnered a reputation as a guy to follow, period. Um I think Dansby Swanson, you know, I mean, think about what he did. It's not like the Braves weren't interested in him. He grew up in Atlanta. Um, He played for the hometown team. He won a World Series there. And he made the choice. He wanted to be in Chicago. I mean, he's, you know, he told a cool story at the press conference about his grandfather being a, a Cubs fan and, you know, always having WGN on. But, I would say that, you know, Dansby's a guy whose leadership qualities have grown as, uh, you know, as he has grown as a player and as he's matured. And he pretty clearly wanted to be the face of this franchise. So I think in the overall, there's there's some excitement. I, I would view it as this. I think that they look at 24 and really even 25 as – you know, if we're having this conversation before 25, that they're going to be sitting there saying, we think we have a chance to go deep in the playoffs. Um, but they've, they've retooled their farm system to the degree that they have all these lottery tickets and maybe some of these players who look like they're going to be pretty good end up being dudes and they pop, but they have, a, they have w- way more lottery tickets than most teams do. And so I think that what their intention is would be to start creating that clubhouse and that runway of that culture um, towards 23, 24, 25. So when you look at, when you talk about them popping in 24 and 25, what who are the guys, name a couple guys where you feel like along with these these guys on the periphery, like let's assume that Swans is going to be solid. Let's assume, right. um, you know, even guys like who knows, maybe Hosmer and we get the best of Hosmer. You get the best right. on the field, Hosmer, Bellinger, yeah. you get the best of these guys, Stroman. Who are the guys right. that are going to have to pop and say, yeah, those, so the next, those are the next all-stars. Group, 
Right. So it's it's a guy like Pete Crow Armstrong, who was a former first round pick of the Mets, so they got in the Baez trade, who a lot of people think is probably the best defensive outfielder in the minors right now and would play close to a gold glove caliber center field in the majors right now. And by the way, um, Boog, who I interviewed about the very the very interesting topic of his mother being the actress in Little Big League. Yep. Yeah, she was the mom. That's all I listen. I mean, that's the one I'm interested in. That's that's classic. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, I think they're excited about him as you know as eventually being their center fielder. And then you have guys like Brennan Davis, who was the you know the futures game MVP when he hit a couple of homers, but dealt with back problems last year. Um, You know, Christian Hernandez at shortstop. You know, and then pitching wise, they have. Guys, uh, you know, guys like um, Daniel Palencia, guys like Caleb Killian, who we saw last year, but also DJ Hers, um, Jensen, Wicks. Like, uh, yeah, there, there's – and I think that what it ends up being – and then, you know, look, they made trades for Rizzo and for Brian and got guys like Canario, Alcantara, those guys are, you know, massive talents. It there's there's a ton of them. It's just a matter of like who's actually gonna hit. I mean, I think they feel good that that Pico Armstrong is gonna be here, you know, at the latest in twenty four. Um, I, I think they're yeah they're excited about the talent level that they have. Yeah, well, that's that's. I mean, it's also good that they have the chance of winning. I mean, any bridge year, quote unquote bridge year. You want to have yeah. still yeah. I mean, this isn't like a division that's going to blow you away. I don't think. No, absolutely not. No, no. Um, yeah. All right. Well, listen. You got me fired up for the Cubs. I don't know if it's at the level Pedro Grafal got for the White Sox, but who? Who? Uh, I, I can't even ask you. Like, I was going to ask who has more wins, the Cubs or White Sox, but that's not fair. You contract contractually yeah, bound to one team and not the other. So yeah. <laughs> so. I love Pedro, though. Good good dude. I mean, I can remember watching him play when he was at Florida State back in the day. Really? He, he was teammates with Eduardo Perez. I think Doug Mankiewicz was on his team back then. But, you know, a guy who's he's been around a lot of good baseball people in, in Kansas City. He's good baseball mind. Um I like Pedro a lot. I wish him. I wish him well. With that the wasn't time. Florida State. Wasn't that was the they weren't in the ACC with BC then. No, no, no. This is this is pre. Uh, yeah, this is many moons ago. But did you? Uh, you were out when the David Gordon kick, right? The for Notre Dame. I had just gotten out. I had just gotten out, um, and I was living with Bob Wachusen, uh in Miami. And that kick, the call of the kick, was was our outgoing message on our on our answer machine that's true yeah and in case people don't know what we're talking about we're talking about when boss boog went to boston college and uh, boston college had this enormous uh upset of notre dame at notre dame the year after that notre dame just waxed boston college in a game of the probably the most noteworthy thing about that game before the upset the year before was they filmed rudy at halftime of that game so yeah that's right yeah. And then the other part about that kick was the week before Notre Dame had beaten Charlie Ward and Florida State. Right. And they were probably in the driver's seat for the national title. 
and then BC knocked them out. So when when we left, it was that was the big football win, and then the group with Isley, Huckabee, and Curley went to the final eight and knocked off the defending national champs, North Carolina, in uh, in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Those were the days, man. Those were the yeah, days. Yeah, way back. The, where the Boston papers covered them, it was crazy. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, all right, well, morphing from uh, the Cubs to Boston College, where you get your education for to uh, to be the broadcaster that you are today, to the actually art of broadcasting. It's one of my favorite topics because I say this about all media boot, is everything that we knew – Certainly like 10 years ago, so probably five years ago, probably realistically, even before the pandemic, we have to take a look and say, how has things changed? How have attention spans changed? How are things delivering change? And so before I sort of give my take or my observations, I just want to hear how, how you think in the last few years, if it has changed at all, how that you have to deliver things any different. Maybe you don't, but like, or how you, and obviously social media is probably part of this as well, but how do you view it now uh, and where it's going compared to maybe five years ago? I think that you're continuing to do stuff game broadcasting wise. I think this applies more to TV where there is stuff that is more about short attention span theater and trying to cover things to keep people engaged if the game isn't in that moment interesting enough. I think that that's one of the things that you do see. Maybe, uh, yeah, and I think, and so I think that there's also an aspect of, again, being a little like a talk show over the top of a game that can sort of sprinkle in a little bit just in case you know people aren't as engaged on the next play the next play the next play I think that that's and you look you're you're never going to please a hundred percent of the audience and certainly some people just want you to sit there and just go here's the one two foul back (laughs) you know what I mean like they don't want you to talk about the fact that changing the rules next year or that they're checking for sticky stuff or discussing something that happened in another game. Um, it, you're not going to be able to please everybody. I mean, I think that in the end, you know, you you come from a writing background, but ultimately what we are doing as broadcasters is we are making content decisions constantly. We are making the choice of what we are going to talk about next. We're documenting what's happening, but in terms of, you know, what path are we going to go down? What am I going to tee my partner up on? I get to choose it. And so part of, I, I, you know, I don't think it gets talked about enough, but part of what makes most broadcasters good is a confidence in judgment in terms of, yeah, I feel like I have a handle on what is interesting for the audience. And when I talked at the beginning of the podcast about how much I admire the way that you guys do it, I truly believe it. I I have tweets to prove it because I think I I find myself, and usually I don't really tweet about broadcast because, to be honest with you, most of the time, any time you want to tweet about a broadcast, it's not going to be good. But I think you guys, you guys, and I don't want to get in those crosshairs because I know how broadcasters are, you know, so 
for the most part, but for you guys, I've t- tweeted multiple times, like, man, this is good. This is really good. And the reason why I do that is because exactly what you said. I think that you guys are able to sort of bob and weave your way through the conversational tone of things, which I think to me is really, really important, more important than ever. And then really lean into when something important happens, leaning into the importance of it and then breaking that down and then maybe getting back into the conversational stuff. But I think that in, and tell me if you, if you agree or not, but I think maybe the way that some of the people, the old school way of doing it, or even some people who think they're doing the right way, kind of coming out of school, they think I, it's a very formulaic, very formulaic, right? We have to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, like, no, it's it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Trust yourself. I, I will say this, and this is I, like, I'll just, just in being honest, um, and this is, you know, not necessarily your you know your best uh idea in terms of engaging your audience but i will say that just if if i were being truthful i i don't think the audience is particularly discerning as it relates to broadcasters i think broadcasters by and large they like it, it we're like ice cream you put it in your mouth and they decide i like how it tastes i don't like how it tastes and that's kind of <laughs> it man and i don't but like i don't think the average person understands what the play-by-play guy's job is understands really what the analyst job is. I think if like, do it this way. If you were to ask 500 sports fans and go down a list of, is this a play-by-play guy or is this an analyst? I think you get 50, 50 on correct and not correct. I mean, the amount of times I've had fans ask me, so when are you going to do a game with Dan O'Brien? Never, because he does the same job as me. You know what I'm saying? Like, or someone comes up to me and they're like, "You're a great analyst," and I'm like, "Thanks, not an analyst." So, I, again, I, you know, it's a little, and I, and I would tie it to journalism. I just don't think people understand what they get frustrated with media. I don't think people understand journalism in a lot of instances. So, not to be cranky guy, but I will say, I, you know, we do our <laughs> thing, and and I, I just, I don't think people completely understand what you know what the the job is in terms of documenting and why you do certain things whether it's media or play-by-play um or analysis and i mean what that my my favorite example i don't engage a ton on twitter but it, i think the best example of why social media is amazing but also the psychology of social media i would say 20 times a year i get a tweet from someone telling me that I said something that was incorrect. So they're correcting me and telling me to do my homework, to do my research on a game I'm not calling. (laughs) So now take that in for a second. They're doing the thing they're accusing me of doing (laughs) by not doing their homework. And there's also the psychology of it makes them feel good to correct somebody, even though it's not actually me that's doing that game. That's true. <laughs> well, I threw a it, lot at you there. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's it's a couple things. Number one is that you're absolutely right comparing it to the writing thing. I mean, I could tweet a lot, have a long tweet, and they're like, "Oh, that was a great column." What? 
or like, or, you know, he or write like a, a basically uh, X team release this player. Oh, that was a great column. Well, it's not a column. Great column. Yeah. Great column. Right. Yeah. I mean, I really brought it home. <laughs> and, and so, um, but I think the, and the other thing is, is that when they don't know if you're an analyst or, you know, a play-by-play guy or whatever it is, that should be a compliment, man. Like, that's what I'm talking about is that, you know, I say this about with radio, with talk shows, being at uh, the radio station that, I've, that I have been for as long as I have been. I've seen it and these places obsess over the one chair. They obsess over the one chair, right? Well, the one chair has to talk as much as the two chair. And once you get in and out of the breaks, you're talking the same. And you better be entertaining because otherwise you're really leaning on the two chair. You know, and so, and that's why I like with you guys, it's like, yeah, you know, you're really good at calls and and the intricacies of, of, of describing things, but you're also really good at just talking. And I think that that's yeah, you want you no, want to be interesting, and you got to you got to connect on on the things, and it's it's sort of trusting your your instinct and and going down paths and being willing to be playful, and maybe you're going to take the topic away from the game a tiny bit and have a little bit of fun. Um, I also would say, you know, one of the points I made is, especially baseball-wise, man, the job is different. I mean, whatever you want to say about the sport, but look, the amount of time between – and this year, hopefully it'll change, but the amount of time that it takes to play the game, the amount of time between pitches, and then the amount of time the ball is in play, it basically means it takes longer for less to happen. And so what that ends up meaning is that there's more time for us to fill where there's no action. So it's an invitation to say dumb stuff. (laughs) So it's, it's a challenge, but it's one that I welcome. And I, I love the sport so much and I love, you know, the, the challenge of, of being asked to do it. It's just so much fun night in and night out because I'm genuinely interested in what I'm watching and going to the ballpark and, and, um, or, t- you know, Tuesday night I'm doing Kansas at Kansas state. So I, it's, it's really cool though. You know, that, though, that operates in a much smaller window, but yeah. Do you like talking about this stuff? I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I love it. Do you? All right. It's I, I so, mean- yeah. Because it's like, I, because there's also mechanical parts of it that I can dork out on that I love. I like listening to to tapes for younger guys and, you know, giving them help in terms of that type of thing, especially on the radio. But I, I love it. I love, you know, learning, watching. I will say this. I think that there's a lot that you can do mechanically to alter yourself and get better and technically improve your timing so that your your flow is good. But in the end, what you're really trying to do is take what you're like off the air and what you're like on the air, and you're really trying to make it as as close as possible. I think that, like, I had growth as a broadcaster, not physical growth. Well, I had some physical growth as well, but I, but not like growth as a broadcaster because I didn't, and I didn't anticipate it. But I think that I really took a a step in my early forties. Cause I got just comfortable just being my authentic self on the air. Mm. And for the most part, the way I might play 
with you in the press box, I would make the same type of joke with Thingy or Doug Glanville or Jim Deshays or Rick Sutcliffe, et cetera. I feel like, boo, like that's, that's where exactly where I feel so many people go wrong. And like, I feel stupid because I'm, he's sitting here, I'm like, I'm the backup to the backup to the backup, whatever. I feel, as I said a million times, I fill my head with information. I make sure I try to stop, not step over Joe or Will or whatever it mm-hmm. is. But I do find it fascinating. And and I think that exactly what you said is where people get themselves, not in trouble because they get jobs, but this, it's okay to be yourself. It's okay. Yeah. And they feel like they have to be like sort of, you know, I don't know. I mean, I didn't go to broadcasting school, so I don't know if they're telling you, like, you got to do this. But I feel like so many young broadcasters feel like they have to have the voice inflection, have to have the 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 cookie cutter thing instead of just being like being themselves. Yes, and I think I think that we're probably most guilty of it in baseball because we all have this thought in our head, and so the thing you're fighting without even realizing it is. Yeah, everybody, the problem becomes when, yeah, everybody that starts, you're 24 years old, and everybody's trying to sound like a 65-year-old white guy. (laughs) And you're using phrases, and you're using phrases that you don't use in everyday life. So I, I encourage guys to speak a little bit more the way you speak, uh, and and try and you're it's okay to be casual it was more formal in the 50s the 50s were more formal uh, so I, I think you have to find your happy spot but i think that you know you that's how you start you start by by sort of impersonating what you've heard and then you find your way is kind of what what really ends up happening how was it how has it been um with sort of doing a t- you've done team full-time right where you get dropped in with ESPN yeah. compared to doing the full-time thing and um that must be a little bit different well so I I've done it before I just hadn't done it in a long time I hadn't done the everyday thing and there are a couple of things number one the guy before me Len Casper is excellent and he was there for 16 years and people don't like change you know in baseball the people you have locked in, they're just used to hearing the guy. And he, you know, broadcasted over the greatest stretch of Cubs baseball in the history of the franchise. Saw them do something that they, you know, hadn't done since 1908. Red Sox fans can connect on that. So, you know, for me, the one part about ESPN was that I covered that Cubs team a lot, from mm. 15 to 20. I mean, I would say I would have them 15 times a year. So I knew – Hendricks, Rizzo, Arietta, Lester, Ross, uh, Bryant, Baez, Hayward, ha- all the like I knew them all. So I knew the arc of the story pretty well. But I would also say that I didn't try and come in and be I wasn't gonna come in and try and and talk about uh Tinkers to Evers to Chance or talk <laughs> about or talk about deep dish pizza. Or try and be <laughs> Chicago expert guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it just, it just, it's just one of those things where you just sort of try and let it happen um, and not try and fake your way into 
you know, I am of Chicago. I grew up in, in New York City, you know, I, but I, I've always appreciated coming here. So I, I think that I, I just kind of have laid back a little bit and I've appreciated it so much. I mean, look, I think there are aspects. I still remember Gene Wojciechowski wrote something that I think is, is and I'm going to paraphrase it, but I think that there are similarities between the Cubs fan base and the Red Sox fan base. I do. I just, I think that it's, there's, there's a fatalistic part of it, which is especially funny for the Red Sox since they won four times yeah. since the, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's a pretty good amount of success, but there is a passion that is, you know, really unrivaled and it, most places the passion is reflective of the record and I, I know that it shifted a bit in Boston because of the Patriots success but I mean you're still talking about a passion for a team and a fan base and so, you know in Boston it's that it, you know that entire section it's not just Massachusetts Massachusetts Maine Vermont New Hampshire um, the northern part of Connecticut I, you know so you you draw in so many places and then the same thing with the Cubs, but what Gene Wojciechowski said is they're very similar fan bases. Um, the Cubs fan base is, you know, the passion is wrapped in bunny rabbit's feet and the Red Sox fan base is wrapped in razor blades. Um, <laughs> That's pretty cool. I think there's some, there's, there's something to it. I mean, don't kid yourself. Cubs fans are super passionate, but I, I love both fan bases because I love how much they love it. Yeah, I well, love how much I mean, love it. yeah, I mean, I think that you know, they're all subtly different, but the passion is the one thing. Like, I go to like St. Louis, I remember it was, I think it was the All Star game, maybe it was like when it was actually counted, meant something. And the Cardinals were obviously a really good team, and you're playing for home field advantage. And the American League team probably pulled it out, and everyone's like, oh, just I get the, I got the, the vibe of. Oh no! The great game of baseball was a real winner today. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure, yeah. I guess. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, no, there, so there, there's, but there's. I love how much they like it here, and I love how much they, you know, they like it there. I, I'm, you know, I'm in on that. Just when there's that that level of that level of passion, it's uh, it's just really special. I well, I feel so lucky to to have the job and to do. You know, I, one of the things I think is getting to do Friday home games. You know, it's it's just one of those things where from working in the game, if you're in a big league clubhouse on Friday afternoon and the Cubs are at home, that game's on. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's on in every clubhouse. Yep. So yep. just there's something about it. And, and I just I've gotten to connect with fans. I mean, it, it, Cubs Con was cool because I got to, you know, just meet so many people and people. It's just so personal. I mean, you can relate on that. I mean, oh, the yeah, the Red Sox side, it's like, right? it's... And, and I tell you what, I, I went to the series when the Red Sox came to Wrigley this summer. Um, I'll go there again. And, you know, my, my wife, she was, she said, she, oh, she's never been to Chicago. Oh, Chicago is so great. Chicago is so great. You got to, so we did this thing, this Hall of Fame ballot reveal um, with DB Sweeney, uh, where he reenacted Shoeless Joe Jackson. So we went, come with me. You know, we'll go to Chicago. We would go to this cornfield in Naperville. And uh, she held up the cue cards. And it was like, oh, that was fun. But then now we're going to tour Chicago. I'm like, oh, Chicago's a little different in, in five-degree weather compared to summer. So, But it's motivation, man. We're, it's 
It's so yeah. such a great town. Such a great town. Awesome. Yeah. An awesome town. Yeah. 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 I love it. So all right, well, yeah. Boog, I've been very, uh, very generous with your time as always, and I, I could talk about this stuff all day with you. And I hope to see you soon. And um, yeah, get some rest, man. Spring. So, what do you do for? Do you do spring training games? Do you? I'll do spring training games. I mean, I do. I'll do college basketball. So I do the Big Twelve and you know, Big Twelve tournament, and then you know, transition into spring training stuff. And uh, yeah, and then you know, still doing the Sundays on the radio, like half of them for for that and then this year i get to call the world series nationally which will be cool all right so, all right yeah. all right it's gonna be a great year well book thanks so much i appreciate it you got it rob my pleasure man presented by t-mobile the official wireless partner of odyssey sports with an awesome network and great savings there's never been a better time to join t-mobile visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today